All right, everybody. Oh, my goodness. So um, on this episode of the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have something really special. Um, you guys might know the name Nick Vujicic, the man without arms and legs. Uh, we just had a conversation with him. His, his schedule is so crazy busy. It's taken us a year to even uh, be able to find some time to actually just even record an interview. And what we talk about today what is absolutely going to inspire you guys. It's going to equip you. It's going to change how you see the world, how you see your relationship with God and what you do in this world. And the cool thing is I was introduced to Nick by my kids who saw him in youth group. And Sandra, you had the same thing. Yes. Jenna came home eight years old from church and said, mom, we saw this guy today on video at church, you know, he literally has no arms and no legs and he's just on fire for Jesus and he's so positive. And so we sat down on YouTube and pulled him up and, you know, that was gosh, so many years ago and have had the chance to just follow his career and actually did an event with him in 2013. And, you know, he is just, he loves the Lord and is so grateful for everything he has you know, his, his parents did an amazing job. His dad said, you don't have any arms and legs, but you have a brain. So figure out how to use it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's sort of his, his whole story is if I can get up and be the hands and feet of Jesus with no arms and legs every day, uh, imagine what you can do. But he's just an amazing guy. Amazing guy. And so he's been able to speak with personally with 16 presidents and prime ministers. And I think, I, I don't know how many, I think he said 6 million people in person and six best-selling books. He's built this massive platform. But I asked, when I asked Nick about how this all started, that first small step into doing something significant, you know, one of the things that Nick talks about is how do we be a miracle in other people's lives? And the person that was the miracle in his life that started it all was a janitor in his high school. And I cannot wait for you guys to only hear that story but what gave Nick the courage to move forward, even though the fear uh, to move forward never changed? So this is, I got to tell you, literally one of the most powerful interviews I think we've done. Um, and also everybody, Nick has pulled together some of the top thought leaders. We're actually, uh, we want you guys to be a part of it. If you go to this website, you can also see it on the show notes, but it's attitude. Attitude is altitude right? A-T-T, attitude is altitude.com forward slash live stream. He's bringing together some of the most incredible minds to equip you to accomplish that dream that's sitting right there, birthed in your heart. And he, and he wants you to join in, listen to these people, be equipped, be inspired, take that next step forward. So go to attitude is altitude.com forward slash live stream, plug into this. It's incredible. And enjoy this interview with Nick. Today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, um, uh, we have Nick Vujicic. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, brother. I love you so much, John. Uh, pleasure and honor to be here. And Sandra, love you too. We're really thrilled. You know, John and I both were introduced to you through our children who had seen videos of you in their youth group. And um, so it's really neat this sort of family story. And now as you celebrate the birth of your third and fourth children at the same time, you, you now, uh, you, you started out before you had kids really speaking into youth and, and now you have four of your own. We're very, very excited and uh, glad that God has uh, 
blessed us and uh, and used our story to inspire many many people. But uh, congrats on your uh, uh, influential platform here, and hello to everyone listening. Well, thanks, Nick. And I, man, I you know my I remember when my son came home. He's like, hey, here's this guy. He doesn't have any arms, doesn't have any legs, and he's absolutely rocking it. Dad, you have to watch this guy. But, but Nick, there's a lot of people, I think, in our audience around the world that might not be familiar with who you are and your story, and I'd love for you to share that. You know, you bring people, you know, through a bit of your journey to, you know, what's led you to what you're doing now. You know, it's been an incredible journey. Uh, much credit and thanks to um, my parents who gave me these values and attitudes to know the principles of success, the principles of um, having an attitude of gratitude, um, not complaining about what you don't have. Uh, I'll never forget my dad saying, Nick, you were not given arms and legs, but you were given a brain. Use your brain. Start a, a business and have your uh, you know, business having employees. Uh, they can be your hands and feet. And uh, it was great advice uh, for my dad to give me at age six. And so when I wanted something from the store, they didn't get it for me. Um, they said, well, get your own money, figure it out, and <laughs> pay. And don't complain about what you wish was different, but do your best. And so went to school, learned how to write and type with my foot, uh, born without limbs, no medical reason. Uh, everyone knows it's not about what you're dealt with, it's how you deal with it. But without a loving home first, I definitely know I wouldn't be here today. I, I went through depression, went through bullying at school, but really it was that journey in those beginning years that gave me that foundation of perspective that changed everything for me. Now, this was in Australia, correct? Correct, in Melbourne, Australia, yep. So, you know, it shocks me that somebody... That, that, you know, without arms and legs, with, that other kids could be capable of bullying, you know, because it's something you can't control. That must have been really hard, huh? You know, I think uh, the, the national government here in America has called depression and bullying an epidemic. Yeah. Uh, um, teen suicide, I've done now a thousand schools in America. Uh, 290 of them I did um, anonymous surveys. Um, to find out if any teenagers had already attempted suicide and 40% and of them admitted that uh, it's because of a broken home and 40% because of bullying at school. Wow. And I think my stat and my attempted suicide at age 10, unfortunately, is another number, you know, that unfortunately in our life we must look at the world in a way of saying, well, wow, how are we going to turn this next generation around to confirm their value as individuals and loving each other. Um, and so it was difficult, but it, I'm, I'm still not surprised that bullying is still around because we have human nature and we know that bullying is not just at schools, it's all the way through our life. And so empowering the next generation to deal with bullying instead of running away or pretending that it's going to go away, um, you know, you need to face that step by step. And so I've written a book on that just for parents, especially with teenagers, uh, on, on those principles of bullying. And, you know, I think also uh, we hear a lot of it, Sandra and I, in the work that we do, Nick, is that, is that bullying actually when we're adults and in the workplace, in the marketplace, uh, is sometimes actually just as prevalent. 
uh, and, and just as damaging. Um, I had one of my, a close friend and coworker of mine commit suicide about eight years ago. And that was a big part when we heard it in some things that I didn't, I wasn't even aware of that were going on in the environment. But yeah, it's, it's, but you know what, let's talk about the solution to that though. You know, as you walk through this, right, you're in this place of despair, you're in this place of depression. Uh, you're probably looking at, you know, your ability, you're looking at your friends and what they're able to do, you know, where, where how, cause there's a lot of people that have been, you know, gone through adversity, physical, uh, emotional, different kind of traumas. So, so what was that next step for you that allowed you to step into, I guess, some, the joy that just comes through you as, as you sit there, just exudes? Well, joy didn't come in the morning. It took a couple of days. <laughs> okay. So two days. You got the two-day solution. That's it. No, look at that. It really is a journey that, uh, number one, if anyone's going through depression, write out a list of things that you're thankful for. Number two, go and tell somebody. I think looping into what you just said, John, you know, there were things that your closest people around you, uh, even family, you don't even know what they're really going through until you actually sit down with them and start talking to them and, and not just talking about cleaning their room or career or whatever, um, but, but really talking about life and even experiencing something out of the normal um, realm. And so number one is being thankful for what you have. Number two, tell someone, get counseling. Um, have accountability, get prayer for, um, and then at the same time, um, you know, take one day at a time and don't put unrealistic pressures on yourself as far as timelines and what you should be thinking and what you should be saying and how you should be feeling within a certain time. And number four, when you don't get a miracle, be a miracle for somebody else. Um, when you can actually bring your children mm. somewhere else, um, you know, in a place they've never been to, um, and, and helping others who are in need, um, that, you know, um, have, have no ability to even come back and, and say to them, Hey, you know, love you. Here's, this is who I am. This is how we're going to help you. And they can't even thank you for it. It, it, it propagates and instigates something that every person in depression needs. It's purpose. Uh, I believe that half of the reason for depression is a lack of purpose. Um, and so to instigate that, to be plugged into something that's bigger than you uh, mm. is so important. Um, and if you give yourself time and you stick it out and you keep on going, I think that was the two things that helped me uh, taking one day at a time, and, um, you know, being thankful for what you had, that's, that's the beginnings. Then when you have those step one and three in place then try feeling number two. And then when you get a good enough place where you're not in just survival mode every day, plug into number four step and, and you'll really see that joy creep in because mm. joy gets stolen because of the voices in your head, but you can find those voices mm. in your head with, the faith in action that you just put into place. Yeah. Well, you know, I've heard you speak um, a few times and, and seen lots of your videos and your books. And one of the things you speak about is perspective, which is what you just said, you know, your perspective and to be thankful, you can always find something to be thankful for. And so, you know, the first time I, I saw a video, my 
sweet little like eight-year-old showed me. And you were super thankful and, and joyful about what you call your chicken drumstick. Your chicken drumstick, which My is foot, yeah. your little foot. And that, you know, you were super thankful for that because without it, there were things you wouldn't be able to do. And I know you had an operation that like separated your toes so you can turn pages and work a phone and all sorts of things like that. Can you, can you talk about that sort of perspective shift? You know, it's, it's really something that's extremely powerful um, to know that you don't know what, um, what is impossible to, you know, what possible is. Um, and so for me, um, my parents always said, Nick, remember those who have less than you um, remember the, the things that you have instead of complaining and figure it out. Um, who ever knew that a man without arms and legs could now all of a sudden uh, figure out the principle that you don't know what you can achieve until you try it. And now, uh, you know, typing 53 words a minute on a normal computer and a smartphone. Uh, when the doctor said I wouldn't be able to walk, here I am skydiving, fishing, golfing, surfing, traveling the world, 68 countries, two and a half thousand planes, three million miles around the globe, uh, 18 presidents, 10 governments, being on TV to 1.6 billion people, three million books or two million books sold in 50 languages or so. It's just an unbelievable, unprecedented, miraculous gift of life when you give your broken pieces a chance. And it's, it's, it, the, the miraculous is when the impossible is faced. If there were no impossibilities, then there's no need for a miracle. And we all have impossibilities. We all have broken pieces. And we all can be a miracle still for someone else, even when we don't get what we feel we need. And so when you can do that and you can start that on the small scale, uh, bit by bit for your own personal perspective and sharpness of mind and focus and fulfillment that goes outside the realm of money, drug, sex, alcohol, pornography, fame and fortune and even success, wherein my 62-year-old father was buried last year, not really mentioning what success he had or achievements, but rather who he was and knowing that faith family and how he really influenced people around him because of who he was was the most important thing covered at his burial. And so uh, very, very thankful that he finished strong and many things that we learned from him and mom together. Yeah. Mm. What, what a fantastic perspective. And you know, and you know, people look today, right. They're listening about this incredible uh, platform of influence and impact that you have, you know, that you've stewarded as you've kind of stepped into this, right. You know, you, 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 metaphorically raised your hand and said, God, I want to be your hands and feet, right? That's it. But it came back. There was probably a point though, where you're sitting there in your chair going, what if, and you had to take that first small step. Can you bring us back to that place and just say, what was those first couple small steps and other folks listening that have something big on their heart, a calling, uh, they, they know they were born for something bigger, uh, something of kingdom impact and they're stuck. You know, when I couldn't participate uh, on, a, on a sports activity uh, and I was watching, it was kind of boring. Uh, but then I realized I can just sit here and complain about that or actually uh, the first person that gets ousted from the competition, uh, who obviously is seen as not such a favorable athletic person uh, within the context of the activity, I can, you know, go to them and say, hey, good job. 
you know, too bad, you know, and, and started talking to them. And like you said, you don't know what other people are going through until you actually start talking to them. And I saw the power of perspective to understand that either I complain about me or I can actually look at how other people have a struggle and see how I can actually help that in. We're into the point of extreme sentences and statements where I can say janitors who clean the toilets change the world. Wherein the one who was cleaning the toilets at my high school looked at me when I was 17 years old and he said, you're going to be a speaker. And I said, you're a crazy old man. <laughs> I want to organize a speech for you to speak in front of six students here at your, you know, at the Bible club here at the school. Aren't you a Christian? I said, yes. They, he said, well, why don't you speak there? And I'm like, you're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. He says, well, just share your story. And I said, I don't have a story. Three months, he annoyed me. Please speak, speak, speak. And after three months, I got so annoyed. He twisted my arm. I said yes. And I got in front of six students. My palms were sweaty. My knees were shaking. And I had no idea what I was doing. And all of a sudden, these girls were crying. And I'm like, are you okay? She said, yeah, I was just touched. And I'm like, I couldn't compute that in my mind where I was once a 10-year-old kid attempted suicide because I felt like I had no hope. And within a five-minute speech, you could see the windows of the soul of somebody, when you look at them in the eye, that there's a glimpse of hope. There's a light now at the end of the tunnel. Mm. Um, it was life transforming and addicting for me to see hope instigated and sparked in someone else's life where I too was still a broken vessel. And uh, with yeah, that... What did, what did you learn from that, Nick? You know that uh, courage has nothing to do with the level of fear that you have. We feel like my courage is upped when my fear goes down. Your fear never moves. But what changes is when you know why you do what you do, it instigates a purpose-filled fulfillment and increase in strength. And an increase in strength doesn't necessarily mean a decrease in fear. Your fear doesn't decrease. You either have a fear or you conquer that fear. And you ain't going to conquer that fear till you accomplish it. And you don't do it when the fear goes down. You do it when your strength overcomes your fear. Wow. And what are some of the things that you did? And I know that you really stepped into your faith to act from a place of courage, even though that fear was at a high bar? It, it depends. You know, I could write a book on just conquering fear, actually. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll read it. Yeah, I'll, I, I think that <laughs> one because many people are disabled by fear, right? Mm. Um, that's actually a really good thing. Email me that one. And I'll, I'll think about that. Okay, um, I will do that. Yeah, that actually would be a good book. Um, not to say that I'm a whatever guru right i'm not a guru you know me john you know me sandra i never claim to be a guru but in the instance that someone suggests something that you should consider doing that is not even in the realm of the existence of the planet you live on in your mind the question is well what if i never did it? what if i didn't do it john would have i had another opportunity would have I then become a speaker or would have I then stuck to accounting and financial planning, which I did a double major in went into stock market, real estate investing, even options trading as a teenager and never become a speaker that now addresses governments wherein after an address, 
uh, they change laws to, for instance, uh, let children with special needs go to school for the first time and then ask me to coach every psychologist and high school teenager getting ready for that integration that just happened two months ago in Ukraine. So you've had a huge, you've had also, you've had a huge impact on some of the uh, abortion policies for, for kids with disabilities, right? When they discover them in the womb in huge countries, some of them, if I remember, you just spoke to a prime minister for just a couple minutes and that resulted because they met you and they changed uh, a policy or kept what it was. Is that correct? I'm not going to say that I changed his mind, but really the meeting that we had was a, a purpose filled that was bigger than us put together, but understanding that he had to give a formal announcement and decision as the president, if he would, even influential people in his party wanting him to open up the scenarios for abortion that's directly related to disabled babies. Yeah. And, uh, he said after meeting Nick Vujicic, um, we need a couple more people like Nick Vujicic in our country, which is phenomenal. And I'm not vocal about pro-life in America yet. And the reason is, is we've got to rattle the cages of the churches in America first to pick up the 425,000 foster kids and 111,000 kids who are average 7.8 years old waiting for an adoptive home. Don't tell me we can't get 100,000 churches to actually do what the Bible has actually told us to do and not Amen. just talk or walk the walk. Is it really that hard for 100,000 churches to get four foster kids and one adopted kid? Are you kidding me? We, we got a real estate development happening, me and my family. 80% of my income does not come from our ministry. And we have a development happening in Dallas and we want to give away our first house to a foster family that they get empowered to actually give, uh, get, a, get them a chance to actually not just do one or two children, but to do four or five. Uh, and so that's what we kind of want to do. So, but man, when we pick up these half a million kids, the next thing you're going to see Nick Vujicic in Washington, D.C. is, holy freaking moly, let's <laughs> now tackle pro-life. Um, you know, I'm not anti-abortion as much as I'm pro-life. If you know mm -hmm. what I mean, yeah. But we gotta help the kids that are living. Aborted kids go to heaven. We know that. So first thing is first, we gotta fix these kids up first, and then empower the people who would have aborted, uh, and give them a chance to to be a good mother and a good father. Well, I'll share with you a personal story. My my son and uh, his girlfriend got pregnant at seventeen. And we we did not find out until uh, they had made the decision to keep the baby. We were one of the last people they told. But, you know, here's the crazy thing, and they were in a Christian school, Nick. The pressure for them not to keep the baby was crazy. Oh, yeah. Also, part of it, they knew that if they kept the baby, it would be an honor code violation in this Christian school, and they would be expelled, which they were. They didn't get to graduate or go to senior prom or all these things, which is the reason. Un, uh, yeah, so we, we, we met with the school board and the superintendent and the principal, and they wouldn't change their policy. Uh, we and so we removed our kids from the school, but we're still trying to get them to change their policy because the opportunity for ministry in the lives of both my son and this girl, but also the entire school community was epic, and it was missed. And I think you're right. You know what, if we can 
Uh, I like what you said, man, be that miracle in somebody else's life because whether it's somebody, the janitor badgering you until you gave a speech or somebody that comes alongside my son and says, this is what, it, you know, here's, here's a young man that, you know, who's going to need you your whole life, right? And he wants to be part of your family or somebody that has a dream to be a speaker or to start a business because this business can fund a cause for foster kids. We're, we're helping a guy. We did a fundraiser last year for Adopt a Love Story. It's an amazing ministry here in Colorado that helps people afford the cost of being a foster parent or adopting because it's actually expensive. There's a lot of very worthy middle-class, lower middle-class families that would like to, but there's kind of a financial barrier. And so they, they do all that work with them. So man, just inspiring talking about being the hands and the feet. That's what, that's what you're talking about is actually, Hey, guess what? If we do something, something will happen, right? That's it. It ain't rocket science. Can I hear an amen? Amen, Amen, brother. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Um, Imagine if the churches in America stopped talking and started doing. And And there are some. And there are some. You know? And and I don't know. Sorry to interrupt you. That's my... Sorry. Now you're really... You guys are touching a nerve with me now. Um, (laughs) What I don't understand is why haven't we actually done a documentary about the churches that are doing a good thing and then point the finger at the other churches and say, why haven't you done this yet kind of thing? Mm-hmm. So that's actually one of my secret missions. Don't tell anybody. No, I won't tell <laughs> until we uh, have the documentary ready. But that's honestly no joke. That's what, what we want to do. But yes, yeah. not talk the talk, walk the walk. Sorry to interrupt you. Go on, Sandra. No, no, you, that's it. I mean, we're both very passionate about – um, you know, John and I talk about uncomfortable authenticity. You know, we just are, I, I also had a near-death experience almost three years ago where they found a golf ball-sized mass inside my head and for 17 days said, get your affairs in order. And, and so because we both have had those, you know, brushes with eternity, we just have a very different perspective that, um, you know what, if, if somebody gets mad because we're, we're, saying the truth, then that's okay. They don't need to listen. But imagine if every church in America just made a 1% change in how they're infiltrating the community with love and hope. Just 1%. Imagine the difference in 10 years. Remnant. The word is remnant. A small amount of people. Because look, that's exactly what I talk about, Sandra, when we're talking about wanting to transform a school. We actually have accounts, multiple accounts, of schools actually never accepting bullying, not from the teacher's level, because that's not acceptable anyway, but from the peer level. A, middle, a couple middle schools have never seen bullying ever, ever again, because there is a culture that has shifted, because they understood that, that maybe 2 or 3% of all students will always want to or be okay with starting gossip. But if we block as soon as we hear it and we don't spread gossip, then gossip never actually becomes fruitful. And so it's the 3% who understand that we have the ability to influence the 93% who are undecided and not understanding the power of not just being uh, someone who's a bystander but on standby. And when you bring the majority of the 80 to 97% of the school, all of a sudden you change the school whether you have 3% changed or not. 
it starts though with the remnant, 3%. So here, here's, uh, here's something interesting. I've studied a lot of revivals, movements, uh, everything from the rise of the Nazi Socialist Party in Germany to the civil rights movement, what it takes to change an entire culture, whether it's a, uh, a family, a school, a company, or a nation is three to 15%. And if you actually look at the numbers, I really think it's about in that two to 5% range personally. But here's the, here, so here's the encouraging thing. If you can help 3% of the people really um, grab onto God's love and, and, and bringing it into their culture and not compromising, can change an entire organization. But the flip side is also true. If you allow those two to 3% of people to act the opposite, they will hold that entire organization hostage. Look, and we know that many people have different religions and, and, and you and I know who, who believe in, in God and heaven and Jesus. We know that it's more than just being a good person. Good produces good. You know, I hope no one, you know, gets us wrong on that. Good is good. And, and the, the scriptures say never discourage anybody from doing good. So we don't, we only encourage it. However, um, you know what, it's a fundamental thing where you as a human being have a soul, you have a spirit, you have a mind and you have a body and everyone's so focused on the body. wherein our soul needs saving. Our spirit needs to be filled and our mind now with that new spirit is being changed and renewed day by day to be exactly who we need to be. Now, the one beautiful thing is when we know we need saving from ourselves, saving from circumstances, saving from uh, uh, everything, and we become saved and we become restored and we become happy and full of peace and full of joy. Not to say that we're perfect, not to say that I'm always happy. We all go through ups and downs, but my joy is always full. Even when I don't feel happy, I know what I hold on to through my own circumstances and what drives me is number one, if I really believe in eternity, I want to go home. I want to go home. I want to see my dad. I'm done with this planet earth. Some people actually feel like, but you know, uh, you know, I've given up on humanity. And that's when I say, no, that's the one thing that, that we don't give up on each other. And, and the, the, the will to make a difference in the world when you know that 2 billion people survive on a handful of rice a day, if that 30 million human sex slaves, 650 of them that I've met face to face. Have I seen redemption of those sex slaves? Yes. Have I seen them go up to their pimps and madams with a bucket of water and a white towel to the point of not just rehabilitation of actually having a new heart and a new mind, but being able to wash the feet of the pimps and madams who kidnapped them, abused them, beat them, um, killed their own children, killed their own children, washing the feet of the murderer of a child. Are you kidding me? That is when you realize redemption is real. That's when you know that's way bigger than the human spirit. And you know then those slaves who now have been rehabilitated not only forgive themselves the guilt and shame of what they feel that they needed to overcome for themselves, but also forgiving other human beings who've hurt them in the most unexplainable way. Now, going to get a job, John, saving up money, Sandra, and not just getting a house and a car and now starting a brand new life, but saving up 700 bucks to go and rescue another slave and buying out another slave, taking that girl as their adoptive kid. 
talk about the orphans, the orphans who were once broken, not just restored, but now being a rescue of other slaves. That is what gets me going. And it ain't about Nick. It ain't about John. It ain't about Sandra. It's about the mission on earth, the God-given purpose to understand it's way more than just asking for arms and legs and waiting for cancer to be healed. It's saving people from hell and Mm -hmm. no arms, no legs, cancer or not, rich or poor. I'm sick of the prosperity gospel. Just give your life to God and, you know, everything's going to be great. It's like that little lullaby I was thinking the other day. Um, And if that diamond ring don't shine, mama's going to buy you. You know what the Christians are singing majority? And if that diamond ring don't shine, God's going to buy you a Bentley car. I mean, what are we talking about when we're thinking about God and his blessings? When, when it's not about the things that he can give us, it's the fact that we're restored. And whether he gives me a car or not, it doesn't matter. You want a car? Don't tell 100 people that God's going to give you a car. Go apply for 50 jobs. Get financial literacy under your belt. Save money. Get a car and be so prosperous that you can actually not only get your own car and save up money because of the knowledge that you've been given, but now putting that into action, you can go buy another person a car and go be the hands and feet to go rescue other people and go someone, you know, you know where I'm going, John. There's just enough BS in the world. There's enough me, 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 me. What we got to do is we got to say, you know what? Who am I? What am I? What am I living for? And go for it and face fear in the face. And so that when you live today is your last, it ain't about your success. It ain't even about you. It's about what God did through you because you said, here I am. Take me. I'm looking for that bigger purpose. I want your plane, not mine. Yes. And, and, and connecting to what you, to, Nick, what is just coming through, right, is this this bedrock, this granite foundation of where all this comes from. And you talked about not only just saving our body, which we focus on, right, but our spirit, our soul, emotionally, and redemption. And I'd love for to give you an opportunity to really share from your perspective, what is the good news that Jesus came here? What, what is the good news that you share that everybody out here needs to really know personally and firsthand? Look, the, 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 the way that I want to focus on that is, you know, many people never become a follower of God because of the followers of God. That is so true. We could, we could have a podcast apologizing for the behaviors of a majority <laughs> of the people that, we, that call themselves Christians that you and I both know, right? But look, we, we understand that uh, we, we follow Jesus because of who, who he was and what he said and what he did. And that's why I'm a follower of Christ. Um, Yes, we can say whatever we want about the Christians, but in the end, are you saved? Mm -hmm. And and it's more than just being a positive person. Uh, Someone told me that I'm being punished because of my previous life and I'm in reincarnation mode. Um, At least you weren't born a cow. Well, there you go. Well, they said the good news (laughs) is that uh, because I'm a good boy, I'll come back like a butterfly. And I'm like, well, that sucks. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to be a butterfly. Um, I'm not going to tell that person how many butterflies I've killed in my wheelchair. Um, the bottom line is when you're in front of 650 sex slaves, you ain't going to tell them be positive. You ain't going to mm-hmm. tell them be good, do good, uh, karma, you know, hum, 
um, reincarnation, better luck next time. Actually, when you do your research about all the philosophies on earth, uh, the smallest minority are atheists who don't believe in the supernatural. And the reason is, is because the people have different religions who also understand that black magic and voodoo and witchcraft is real, thus then confirm that there is a spiritual realm. Um, wherein we don't have to go too far to actually just look at people with disabilities and look at people who were sex slaves. And you look at all the other philosophies and you actually find that there is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, when you actually do, there are some major religions, I'm not going to call them out, who are actually trying to rewrite their manuscript because they know it's not kosher. Um, and, and we understand that we think that people who are good should go to a good place until the people who think they're doing good by killing me, until that comes to fruition, we just accept everyone. Uh, and that's real. When you have people who come to kill you at an event, but then they are so convicted that they actually give their life to Jesus Christ while I'm preaching. Uh, when you understand that, that there is a spiritual realm, there is a bigger picture, that no one's perfect, but that we can't even fix ourselves really. And if we do, we pride ourselves on that to the point that we then excuse ourselves for the other unrighteousness that we have. Mm -hmm. The bottom line is, is the fruit. Love, joy, and peace. To the point that you can forgive your enemy, pray for your enemy because you don't even want them to go to hell. That's the extent of real hope and real redemption. Doesn't mean I have to become a friend of my enemy, but I definitely don't want them to go to hell. I want them to see that even they can find Jesus and redemption. Jesus is love. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave. That is the difference between Jesus and everyone else. He said he was God. He was holy. He resurrected other people from the dead before he raised himself from the dead. And when you believe in a power, if I believe in the power of the chair that I'm sitting in on my dying deathbed, I can either believe that the power of the chair is going to help me or I don't. However, the chair to me is dead already and will never come to life like you and I will come to life. Um, but if I believe that Jesus came to life from the dead, now I'm believing in a power that's the cure for death itself, which is the only cure, resurrection. So if somebody's listening to that right now, Nick, and would say, like, you know what, that's what I want, but I've never taken kind of that next step to really invite Christ in, to really kind of step into this relationship? It starts with prayer. And, and the prayer is, is, if anyone wants to pray this prayer, just say, dear God, I don't know who you are, and I don't even know how to pray. I know I'm a failure, and I don't want to sin. Help me to know you, and to know the life you have for me. I want your plans, not my plans. Give me grace and strength to believe in you despite 
my confusion at times. Forgive me of my sin. Give me faith. Teach me to pray. Show me your promises. Help me to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior and my friend. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. When you start that discovery process, we read in Scripture that he listens to us just like many people are listening to us right now on the podcast. You may not hear his audible voice, and to believe in an invisible God takes faith. And the Scripture says, faith comes by hearing of the Word. What is the Word? The Bible. So I encourage you to go to a Bible-believing church or go to lifewithoutlimbs.org for faith-based spiritual inspiration. Uh, Preachings you'll find of of me talking about my testimony, my anger at God, um, not understanding his plan for me, yet seeing that indeed uh, you can be the hands and feet without arms and legs and standing in front of the gates of hell and redirecting traffic and really find your God-given, fulfilled purpose and joy. Man, that's powerful. And if anybody did just pray that prayer, please, you know, reach out to me. I'd love to talk with you. Uh, John at eternalleadership.com or plug in with Nick um, and everything you have there. What's your, what's your best website again, Nick? Lifewithoutlimbs.org. In fact, we also have our own little podcast called Life Without Limbs Radio. There's about 20 that we've done. It's really cool. Really? Oh, okay. I'm, I'm putting those at the top of my, my playlist. So all this will be in our show notes. But, you know, this is exciting because I, I, I think the, you know, the first step uh, for me was really understanding what, you know, somebody asked me, how would you define the nature of God? And I got to tell you, before I had my personal encounter at my accident, it was somebody that was very authoritarian. It was kind of like the commanding. I was in the military. You can see that's what I used to do. I, that's why I used to fly those. Yeah. Talk about overcoming fear. That was many times of being scared witless, actually, at times. But, um, uh, you know, changing the na- understanding the nature of God. And then somebody asked me something really powerful as I was kind of going through my journey. And I said, you know what, I got to figure out how I'm wired to figure out what I should be doing. And here's what my coach asked me, Nick. He said, you know what, I think you should change the question. I think you should really dig in and ask yourself, how did God wire me and who does he see when he looks at me? And in so doing, then what you need to be doing will be very clear. The mystery will be taken away. And for me, I found that that is absolutely the truth. For me, that was like, uh, I, I was driving this Ferrari and the engine's running and revving, but I had the parking brake on. And for me, that like that is what allowed me to drop the parking brake and take off down the road. So good. So good. So glad uh, uh, to have had this awesome opportunity with you and you be able to share your story. And uh, just, just an incredible story. And that's the beauty in everything. Uh, we all have a story. And, uh, and we're all a miracle for somebody. And um, I just want to thank you for your leadership and you stepping out in courage and both of you facing, uh, like you said, Sandra, a brush of eternity. Um, I nearly went home in, uh, about three years ago. And uh, I share about that in my latest book, Be the Hands and Feet, sharing God's love for all of his children. And um, man, 
it, it shakes you up when you go through something like that. There's only one thing is that I wish I woke up every morning remembering that like it was yesterday. Now I feel like that was 20 years yeah. ago. You. Yep. I say all the time, I wish I could bottle that up. Um, not so I can relive it, but so I can remember uh, that feeling. Because even though we, I replay it in my head and I go back and I read things that I wrote then and watch videos from inside the hospital, it's still, um, it still seems so long ago and it seems so foreign that if we could wake up every day with that same energy and thankfulness and perspective that I had for those 17 days, um, just imagine what the world would be like, right? If we all could, could, if we could bottle that and just share, share that perspective. But even us three who've gone through it, um, you know, it, it takes some effort every day to wake up and remember um, that feeling because we, you know, we look around and we're in this broken secular world that tells us we need all this stuff and we can't be honest with people and we can't be who we really are. We have to put on masks and we have to pretend to be these great little church going people and smile and everything's okay. Um, you know, and, and what I learned in those 17 days is it, you say it the same word just a little differently that, you know, by me being authentic and showing my complete hot mess that God has redeemed and saved that that gives hope to people that if I stand up and am pretending to be all that, that, you know, that that's not helping anyone, but that our broken parts are like steps that can help people bridge across to Jesus. And so, you know, that's what John and I try to do here is just, you know, we just say, Hey, we're just two big hot messes that God has redeemed and, and gifted with the ability to, pour into people as coaches and then we sort of took that to the airwaves and here we are so awesome so cool you know when you have mess after some time it's age so message 